Okay, if you have uh, Bibles, please open them to Exodus chapter 15. We are backtracking a couple of chapters from uh, last week because this one took me longer. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, it will be on the screen. I'll, I'll tell you ahead of time, this, this, is, uh, this is going to take some attention because some of it gets slightly technical. So just if you're a little sleepy this morning, that is too bad. All right, let's pray before we begin. Lord, I, I pray right now that you would bless us as we open your word, that we would be responsive to your voice, and that by coming into your presence, we would know you more, and that we would hear from you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the most... Uh, profound commentaries on American religious life uh, is in a, uh, it's kind of an art house movie, it's called Talladega Nights. Um, it's the ballad of Ricky Bobby starring Will Ferrell. And he plays a, a NASCAR driver and there's a, a, a scene that's a bit of a classic scene where they're around the dinner table and uh, they, you know, uh, the, the whole family and, and Ricky Bobby says grace and he keeps on praying to Lord baby Jesus. Okay, and, and he, he, the, every time he addresses God, Lord, Lord, baby Jesus, it's always baby Jesus. And, and his wife says, hey, it's kind of weird. You know, he did grow up. And, and he says, well, look, I'm the one saying the grace, and that's the one I like the best. And his, his driving partner, Kyle Naughton, who's kind of a doofus, is like, I like to imagine Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. Because it's like, I want to be formal, but I'm also here to party. Right? And everybody starts talking about the Jesus they like best and kind of how they want to do it. And it's ridiculous. It's satirical. But also, it captures an attitude of the heart. That is very common in all of us. It's that we want to relate to God on our own terms. And you may not have said it like that, but we kind of want things our way in worship. You know, oh, that works for me. That's inspiring or whatever. And we kind of like our, our filter for what's good or bad in worship, and, and by the way, I'm not just talking about music, I'm talking about overall, is what feels right to me. Now, I want to be clear about something. Worship is always expressed through a culture, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because some people are like, yes, and of course, this is, we shouldn't have our preferences. That's why we should just have robes and hymns and organ, right? But that, of course, is from a cultural moment, just not a current one. And also, it must be said that a worship service is a public event. It should be accessible to people. Like, if you could imagine if all of us were to all of a sudden be shipped back to, like, the third century Eastern Roman Empire, and we were to attend church there in, like, the ancient church, it'd be in Greek. You know, I could translate Greek slowly. I wouldn't know what's going on. Neither would you. The format, everything, the, the, what you do when, it wouldn't make sense to any of us. We might enjoy meeting ancient people, like that'd be cool, but for the most part, that worship service is not accessible to any of us. So, so yeah, worship is always expressed through a culture and a cultural moment, and it should be accessible, but it's a big difference from saying, 
make it accessible to what do I like? How do I feel like I want to worship God? Because here, here's one of the big problems. In this country, we have a pretty dominant majority, right? A majority culture, and that is the white middle class. And we all have preferences, and if we're all saying, I want what I want, what happens? Well, you get, you get everything catered towards the preferences of a majority, and everybody else is left out. It becomes inaccessible. Make sense? And here's, a, here's something that's really, really odd for us, and I think it's unique in the history of the church, is especially with music, like, do you guys know that there, there's like a whole industry of writing worship songs? And maybe this is too much, but the radio stations that, like the Christian radio stations that play it, they have a target demographic. Know what it is? It's 35 to 50 year old soccer moms. Okay? And so, like, I'm not saying that the people writing such things are insincere or it's bad or anything like that, but it is filtered through a market, right? There's a market motivation here. It's not saying, hey, well, what's going to be most glorifying to God? What's going to reach people or anything like that? It's what do 35 to 50-year-old soccer moms want to hear on the radio? Okay? This question of what do I like in worship completely reverses the appropriate position of us in our relationship with God. We shouldn't be asking that question. Should we ask how do we make it accessible? Sure. Should we ask what honors what honors the culture's president in our society? Yes. But the real question is not what do I like, what makes me feel like worshiping, but how does God teach us to worship? How does the word of God tell us how to worship God? How does God want to be worshiped? Really, that's the, that's the, that's the real million-dollar question here. And again, when I say worship, I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking about everything that happens in corporate or personal worship. Now, Exodus 15, okay, there's so many fun facts about this. Uh, I'm just going to drop them on you, and you're going to have to deal with it. Okay, so Exodus 15 is very probably the first portion of the Bible written, right? Yeah, didn't know that, right? Uh, so the Pentateuch, of which it's part, Genesis through Deuteronomy, those first five books, was written by Moses towards the end of his life, kind of on the verge of entering the promised land about 40 years after the Red Sea. But when we look at Exodus 15, we see right after the Red Sea, verse one, it says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. So shortly after the Red Sea, this song was written. So it predates the rest of the Pentateuch and gets included in the Pentateuch from about 30 to 40 years before. So. The first part of the Bible that we have is a song. And you'll notice when we read it that it sounds just like the Psalms. There's a reason for that. It's because it sets the pattern for all of the worship songs in Israel's history. And the, the thing that in, in, when we're dealing with the Psalms or we're dealing with a song, now hear me out on this, it is not an inspired word from God. Hang on. It's an inspired word to God, right? This, this is divinely inspired things we are to offer to God. So I would say if it's the first part of the Bible, it's the first song in the Bible, it sets the pattern for the divinely inspired songbook that we have, then this would teach us 
how we are to worship God. Now, I'm not going to exhaust the subject, but this will at least give us some guidance to, to answer the question, how does God want us to worship him? So for starters, every hymn, every Israelite hymn, and this is no exception, starts with a summons to worship. Look with me at the first three verses. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, that sounds just like a, the beginning of a psalm, doesn't it? Because most of the psalms start with this pattern of it's time to worship. It's time to praise God. And so what's it calling us to do? It's calling us to praise God as he deserves because he's worthy. To praise God as he deserves because he's worthy. Now, do you know what comes before Exodus 15? Exodus 14. That's right. It's the, it's the events of the Red Sea. So, so they were about to be all killed by Pharaoh's armies, and God delivers them through the Red Sea. That's what this song is worshiping God for. So they had just seen this miraculous, amazing deliverance, and this song is an outpouring of praise as God deserves. So the question is, who? Who needs to praise God as he deserves? Well, the first thing we're going to see is that me. I need to praise God as he deserves. When we look at the first three verses, there is first-person singular language. I will praise the Lord, right? The Lord is my strength, my song. It's personal, individual. But also, there's we. When we, when we look just before that, it says Moses and the people. This is a bunch of people. This is the nation singing together, I will. So it's not an either or. It, it, this, this is really important. Like when, when C.S. Lewis first became a Christian, the, the guy who wrote Narnia and all that stuff, he, he came, to, came to Christ kind of, I forget exactly when, like early 30s, something like that. But he struggled with the whole corporate worship thing, the whole worshiping in a church. This is what he says. He says, my own experience is that when I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology. And I wouldn't go to the churches and gospel halls. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. <laughs> but as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education. Then gradually, my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. Those are the, like a, if you did like a muck, muck job, like in the mud, he would wear elastic side boots. So he's a laborer guy. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. That captures it, right? Because there's two mistakes we can make. That I am to, that, that kind of like, especially if you're part of a Christian family, you're a kid, it's like you just look to your parents, well, it's their faith that I'm kind of piggybacking on. It's like, no, actually you are called to give God worship. 
You are called to offer heartfelt devotion. No one does it for you. Make sense? And then there's the opposite uh, uh, mistake we can make of saying, it's only me. I do it by myself. This is something I do by myself only. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing personal devotions, but like the idea of a solo Christian to the writers of the New Testament would have been pure nonsense. We don't see it anywhere in the Bible that someone's just like a, like a lone wolf Christian out there. There is always a sense in which our worship is to be offered within the body. Okay? Church is not to be a place where I go to get something out. Is there benefits to it? Of course. It's to be a family in which I make a contribution. That's the na real nature of worship. So who is to praise God as he deserves? Me and we, right? It's both and. But how? Because in our kind of consumeristic culture, where, where, you know, if I've got money, my needs are tailored to. It, it, it's kind of like we bring that to church as well. We bring that to relationship with God. I've heard people say things like, I don't feel God in church. I feel God on the trail. So I go to worship like on a trail. It's like, okay. Um, or, you know, I, I don't like that teaching. I don't like that bit of the Bible. I'm just kind of skip. <laughs> or my favorite is when, when there's part of the Bible that reveals God to be something other than we conceive, oh, that's not the God I know. That's not the God I believe in. It's like, well, that's the God who's being revealed. <laughs> or something I've run into quite a bit is kind of like you can do anything to worship God. Right? You know, they, like I've, I've, I've sat through church services that, that felt more like a variety show. It's like, and now the trapeze team's coming out. You know, It's like just anything, and not just content, but the, the format of it. Right? But there's a big problem with that. God takes his own worship very seriously. We're going to see in a couple of weeks, if I get there before sabbatical, probably on the other side of sabbatical, actually, is that the people of Israel are going to try and worship God through the making of a golden calf, okay? Like, they're, they're, they're going to make this statue. You've, all, you've seen the movie, right? The golden calf. Their intention, we're going to see, is like Aaron, make, who makes this golden calf, is like, this is Yahweh! Everybody worship him. And they get up to worship him with a, uh, let's call it, lewd fertility rites. Is that making sense to all the grown-ups? Yes. That's what they were doing to worship God because that's what you would do for a fertility god or, or goddess in the pagan world. Right? They're trying to just take the pagan format and boom, I'll worship Yahweh with it. It doesn't go well for them. Instead of saying, like, Instead of this attitude of, I can do anything to worship God, we, we actually need to be guided. We need to be guided by worshiping God according to revelation. What do I mean by that? It, it's not up to us to tell God who he is and how he's to be worshiped. It's up to us to listen, right? And for that, we need God to reveal who he is, what he wants. And we're going to see in, the, in this song that this song worships God according to revelation. 
First of all, it worships him, it praises him for what he has done. Look with me at verses 4 through 10. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. So what are they praising God for? What he had just done in, in you know, delivering them from the armies of Egypt. So one way that God is revealed is through his actions in history, right? They, they're, they're, that all made sense, right? Okay, great. And also, to praise God according to revelation of who he reveals himself to be. There is a teaching of theology in this song, as you'll see through the rest of the biblical songs, verses 11 and 12. It says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. So this would have been news to the ancient hearer of this song. Who is like you among the gods? Right? They believed not in one god, but in many gods. And who is like you is saying, there is none like you. Does that make sense? And what's the difference? Majestic in holiness, meaning that he is separated by his holiness. That is his unapproachable power. Okay, it's saying that God's, God's power is something like the sun or, you know, like something that's unapproachably powerful. Saying you're different from the other gods in that you're like this. And also, what? Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. This God does things in history, unlike the other gods. It, it, it is praising God for who he has revealed himself to be and also for what he has done. But all, and also, part of God's revelation is what God promises. Look at verse 13. It says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Now, the ESV translate that as you have led. It's speaking about it in the past perfect tense. You see that? But going to the holy abode means going to the land of promise. They are not yet in the land of promise. So it's looking, God has promised they will go to the land of promise, and it's talking about it in the past tense. Did that make sense? Right. And so, so they're looking at God's actions in history. They're looking at who God has revealed himself to be and what he has promised for the future. So this, this song is according to Revelation. Okay? Now, we can talk about that with content. Whenever we're, whenever we're talking about what should be included in a worship service, not just the music, but the prayers and the confessions and all the rest of it, you know, some of the things that it would be really appropriate to include. 
is that God is one in three, right? The, the triune God. God has revealed himself to be that. It's appropriate that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit should be named in a service. It's appropriate that we talk about and, and praise God for being creator, for being savior, for being father, for being just and holy and merciful. It's appropriate that in a service we remember the promises of God. Right? So, so we want to fill our worship with who God has revealed to be, we, with, with revelation, with what he's done in history. Right? We, we get a lot more than just the Red Sea, don't we? I mean, we, we, we get to hear about the entire nation of Israel and all that God did there. And of course, the high point is that Christ came. And so focusing on Christ as God's revelation of himself through what he's done in history, right, that, that is something that should be present in worship as well. So, so with content, our content should be in accord with revelation. Things that are not revealed in scripture or by, you know, creation shouldn't be. Make sense? Also, it goes for the form. It's like, oh, what do you mean, the form? I'm saying the things that are actually included. Right? This is a sermon. This is part of the format. We sang songs earlier, part of the format. We, did a, uh, you know, we observed a sacrament. That's part of the format. So, for example, if we were to look at the ancient world, um, well, there's kids present. Hang on. What's a better example? Well, you can use your imagination of what happened in those temples uh, to, the, to the ancient pagan gods. That was part of the format of worship. You all know what I'm talking about? Give me this. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? That format does not belong in the worship of God. Make sense? In the same way, if we're like, hey, we want to, like, uh, we want to do dressage. You know what dressage is? Do you see this in the Olympics? When someone's on a horse and the horse just kind of saunters around. This is an Olympic sport. Bruce Springsteen's daughter did it. Do you guys, seriously, am I more up on this than you? Guys, check out dressage. If we want to have, oh, well, I want to do anything, you know, I, I like doing dressage. I do it to the glory of God. Yes, absolutely. Do dressage to the glory of God, but not as part of a worship service. Does that make sense? Why? Because it's not according to Revelation. It's not something we see in scripture used to praise God. Our songs, sure. Is preaching? Absolutely. Is confession? Is dance? Yes. In fact, speaking of dance, I'm kidding, guys. I'm not going to dance right now. Although I'm not bad. <laughs> so how are we to praise God? Well, first of all, with me and we. Second, according to Revelation. But when? When are we to praise God? Because we see that very strongly in, in, in the scriptural songs as well. When I was in seminary, um, I, I was doing an internship at a church. Okay? And because I was a musician, of course, what was my job as a pastoral intern? Music team. All right? I was supposed to build the music team and lead worship, even though I'm not a very gifted worship leader, anyone will tell you. And so uh, one, one Sunday, I was working with this young woman who was a very talented musician, sang great, played the piano really well. It was the two of us. And, and during rehearsal, 
you know, I started playing that. I was like, okay, our next song is whatever. I forget what song it was. But she said, I don't like this song. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Because, like, music leaders, I, I hope this doesn't disappoint anybody. Music leaders don't like every song they lead. It's true. Yeah. But shout to the Lord, on the other hand. That is the one. That is banging. Yeah. Hot fire with that zetch. <laughs> so anyway, I was like, okay, great. Yeah, you don't like this song. So I start practicing it. And she goes and sits down in a pew. Like, gets up from the piano, goes and sits down in a pew. And I stop. I was like, what are you doing? I said I didn't like it. And I didn't realize that not liking it meant she was going to sit it out. Right? It's, it's this, what's become part of our culture is this mistaken idea of authenticity. If I feel like it, I do it. Right? And only when I feel like it. Otherwise, it's inauthentic. When I feel grateful, I'll sing songs of gratitude. When I feel joyful, I'll sing songs of joy. When I feel like praising God, I will praise God. And if something isn't quite jiving with me, maybe I'll sit it out. Maybe I'll kind of give it half the heart. Maybe I'll just sit there and critique it. Okay? When does this song, and we're going to look at a couple of other psalms, when does this song say to worship God as he deserves? Well, I mean, it's hard to imagine a higher high than what they were experiencing in Exodus 15. Miraculous deliverance from certain death. That tends to put one in a good mood. And so, so this song is praising God, exalting God, because that was awesome. But then we can turn to a song. Oh, bookmarks cooperate with me. Like Psalm 38 or a number of other psalms. And when we look at Psalm 38, 9 through 12, it's a very different tone. It says, O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. That's a very different way to praise God, isn't it? What's David going through there, the psalmist? Betrayal, fear, sadness, right? What's he doing? Praising God in the lowest low. So highest high, lowest low, and you know when else? When you're not into it. The, quite literally, we are called to worship God as he deserves when we're not into it. You know how I know? Look with me at, at Psalm 106 real quick. Just verse 1. Okay. So you remember the format of a hymn, I, I didn't say the rest of it, it starts with the summons and then it goes in the re, into the reason for the summons and then usually it repeats itself. Okay, that's the typical format. You see that praise the Lord there? Yeah, it's visible, right? Okay, do you guys know what the Hebrew word behind that that gets translated praise the Lord? It's probably a Hebrew word that you all know. Anybody know? It's hallelujah. 
Hallelujah, let me break it down for you. It's hale, which is the verb for praise, but it's the jusiv, which means it's imperative, it's a command. Praise, right? Like it's there. And then the u is the you, so you praise, you must praise. And the yah at the end is a shortened version of the name Yahweh, okay? Hallelujah is literally, you must praise Yahweh. When? Right now. <laughs> it's like, but I was, I was up late. My donkey was sick. It's like, you must praise Yahweh. It's like, oh, but I don't know. I'm just feeling a little off right now. You must praise Yahweh. Okay? That's what it says. It's an imperative. It's a call to the people. It's saying, you might not be into it. You might be super into it. Regardless of where we are. We are to give God the praise he deserves. So me and we praise God as he deserves, according to revelation and regardless. Okay? Now, this may, that might sound wrong, especially if, if you know, you value things like, you know, emotional authenticity. I'm not saying you shouldn't value that. I'm not saying that, that you know, on the day after some gigantic tragedy, you know, that, that we should just sing lighthearted things. No, it's good to observe those debts, absolutely. But let's try I don't feel like it with other things. Allison, one night, it's like, I don't feel like feeding the baby. You know, it's hard. Hard. I'm not feeling up for it. I'm not going to feed the baby. Does that work? I don't feel feelings of love for my wife today, so I'm going to be super jerked out. Does that work? No, it doesn't work, does it? I don't feel, I'm not feeling work today. I don't feel like being a programmer. You know, it would feel fake. It's like forced, like I'm forcing myself to program instead of just letting it flow. Does that work, programmers? Probably does these days. You guys <laughs> unlimited vacation time. Here's some candy canes, whatever. <laughs> you get whatever you want. The rest of us, if we don't show up to work because we don't feel like it, we'll be fired. Okay? We are to praise God as he deserves. Me and we, according to Revelation, and regardless. Why? Because he's worthy. This is part of... This is part of appropriate relationship with God, is that when we come into his presence, we respond appropriately. It's like, it's like um, back in 2001, for the first time, I went and saw U2, Quiet Marcel. <laughs> and U2 is inarguably the greatest rock band of all time. Oh. Beatles stopped touring after 66. They're out, I'm sorry. Stones, man. There's a lot of records that they wish they hadn't made. But you too! <laughs> and you're all wrong if you disagree. <laughs> By far. Like, it's almost a different category. Like, I grew up on YouTube, okay? Like, as a kid, I watched Under a Blood Red Sky and Rattle and Hum. I watched Rattle and Hum multiple times, and that's a chore. Okay? <laughs> like, all of their music, I, I, was, I was really into it. And and had grown up with it since I was a kid, since I really got into music. And so me and my friends went over to St. Louis to see them. And, uh, you know, was, we got good seats. I was like, hey, this is fun. We're going to go see you too. This will be great. I know all the songs. I was kind of like 
stage left, but pretty close. You know, it wasn't that much distance. It was like maybe from me to just be on the trailer to the stage. It's good seats. And so I was, I was excited for the show. Garbage warmed up, if, any, if that's of interest for anybody. Gar never garbage. They're good. So I feel like they need a name that doesn't knock their self-esteem so much. But then it was time for you 2 to come on, and the house lights come down, and the intro starts playing. And they had this huge production. It was the All You Can't Leave Behind tour. It was this huge, gigantic production, right? And then you 2 walks out on the stage. And guys, I wasn't ready for how this would make me feel, how I would react. This was like Bible characters walking on stage to me. It was like if Matthew, Mark, and Moses were to be coming out. And I responded the only way I could to their worthiness. I, I, I screamed like, like a 12-year-old at a Taylor Swift concert. Like, I, I lost it, right? I was overwhelmed. And when they, when they laid into the first song, like the whole audience together were giving it up. Why? They're worthy. Now, there may not be a light show at a church service. There might be. <laughs> That's nothing wrong with that. There may not be an opening act. But you know what? We're here. We're here with them. When we step into worship, it, it is not, hey, if I feel like it, I'll, I'll, I'll praise God as he deserves. And, and by the way, like, none of us are truly capable of wholehearted worship as we are, broken as we are. It's always going to be just half our heart at best. I get that. But walking into the presence of the living God and offering worship, which is what we're here to do, is, is a, a weighty thing. But it's also something that transforms us. We need to praise God because he's worthy. Pray with me. God, you are worthy of our praise. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would impress this upon the depths of our soul. That you would, you would let us loose from these blocks that we often have. That you would set us free from our own reticence, from our own half-heartedness. But we also thank you, God, that you're gracious and merciful. And you receive even our half-hearted efforts. God, we long for the day when you make us whole. In Jesus' name, amen.